0: 32 Counties. 32 Questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the
1: world it brings us. Very reminiscent of Theresa This week's county, Antrim. This week's question. Has Alabama turned the spotlight on to Northern Ireland and to suit our podcast, Antrim? It's the one year anniversary of the repeal referendum in the Republic of Ireland but up
0: north our sisters are being left behind. And last week, the governor of Alabama signed one of the most stringent abortion restrictions in the U.S. into law, joining Kentucky, Mississippi, Ohio and Georgia on their mission to seemingly find a route to overturning Roe v. Wade. So this week we're asking, is the rollback of women's rights in America finally highlighting the severity of the issue for women in Northern Ireland?
1: This is United Ireland and this is Antrim. Let's go. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I think before we go straight into Antrim, we're going to have to give you a bit of the download of what this podcast is about. Now, your ears are not deceiving you. You have heard our very rather dulcet tones and synchronisation before. It's exactly one year on since we recorded our last episode of Don't Stop Repealing. Can you believe? Um, An accompaniment to the Irish abortion referendum, which luckily for us and the rest of the women of Ireland came back as a strong and solid 66.4%. Yes. We're aiming to have the same rambunctious time for the next 32-ish weeks. I'm delighted I got that word right, because it's very tricky. Um, we're going to be tackling some of the big stuff with a sprinkling of laughs, a pinch of sass, and absolutely none of that clickbaity crap, pitting arch enemies against each other for a bit of drama, much as we do love drama. Uh, just Sandy searching for solutions, you know, to what's going down in our world today. Should Donegal implement universal basic income? Yeah. Does Meath hold the answers to whether or not we're living in a
0: simulation? Yes. What is the real reason for so many hotels being built in Dublin? Money. Over the course of 32 <laughs> episodes, we'll explore all of these issues with smart guests and of course, a healthy dose of... <laughs> Disco. So why are we doing this podcast? After the referendum, myself and Andrea had many conversations. The highlight being the one at Burgain, correct? Correct. Very productive, correct? Correct. (laughs) About what kind of podcast we wanted to do next. Now, we didn't just want to do something for the sake of it. We didn't want to repeat ourselves. We wanted to do something that had meaning and was fun. And the result is United Ireland. The clue is in the title... This is about Ireland and it's about unity, but it's also... It's also very funny about all the nationalists that followed us on Twitter when we launched. Come on board. (laughs) But it's also about zooming out. The issues that arise in small places often have a global context and we'll be talking about big ideas intelligently with super smart
1: guests. On United Ireland, you're not going to hear the same voices that you hear every day on RT and News Talk you're not going to be patronized, and you will hopefully learn something um, with new ideas, untold stories, and hear the issues that matter to you being discussed in a way that doesn't insult your intelligence and is not being thrown at you just to get you riled up to post on Twitter to get ratings up. That is not our buzz.
0: United Ireland is an independent podcast. We aren't backed by any media company. We are starting with a budget of zero, which is why we need your support. This podcast will be listener funded on Patreon. Support our work on patreon.com forward slash Ireland.
1: You're so sound. Thank you. More about that later. But first of all, Andrea, happy repeal anniversary. Happy repeal anniversary. Who knew it's a year later? I'll definitely be taking
0: a moment this week to reflect on what happened over the course of that campaign, the impact that it had
1: on all of us personally. I feel like I've spent the last year doing that. Like I, I was trying to figure out what have I done since then? I was like basically reflecting and trying to get over it. Well, as you know,
0: I'm captain avoidance, so I refuse to process any major, major emotional moments
1: in my life. Well, maybe that's what this podcast is for, <laughs> emotional processing.
0: For me, right after the referendum, I just wanted to move on straight away and, and just like, never talk about reproductive rights again. Um, Yet here
1: we are, <laughs> here Alabama we are. to
0: Antrim. <laughs> but I think it's because, you know, the emotional toll that it took um, and also working an awful lot throughout it, Uh, but I, I think that like a year later reflecting on the job that was done is kind of incredible like I was in New York the other week at a conference on creating this new piece of dialogue between um, US and, and Ireland in terms of reproductive rights and obviously the shit that's going down there mm-hmm. we're going to hear more about le- later but it was just so interesting to to hear from US reproductive scholars and lawyers how versed they are on repeal like they're literally giving these talks on what happened in the movement and it's super emotional kind of sitting there having what everybody did together like held up yeah and distilled and, yeah, yeah. back yeah. to you so we you know it, it is a year later and we are having a very different um, vote this week too, uh, the local elections, European elections on the divorce referendum. And that's on Friday. Or if you're, you know, you may have already voted, may not have. But please do. The important thing is you get out. And if you're voting, when you're voting, in Dublin City on Friday, please pick up an I Voted sticker. This is a project that myself and Liz Carolyn, who you uh, may remember. So you're
1: always doing something, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: always doing something. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> but we've done this um, little project called I Voted. We uh, commissioned three artists, Maser, Jacket Mattisiak and Jackie Sheridan to design three different I Voted stickers with support from Dublin Choirer from the European Parliament Dublin and from the Dublin City Council Returning Officer and you're going to have these really cute stickers in your polling stations in, in Dublin City so please
1: pick them up when you're voting and put them on your Instagram and tag I Voted and make your friends vote people underestimate how important the European elections are but when you see the shit that's happening with all those far right people I think it's time to vote
0: although it's important to say that the I voted sticker is a completely non-partisan campaign <laughs> and we're obviously what's that thing where you're like non-biased we're non-biased <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about the results of the locals and the Europeans next week but let's go on right now but before we get down
1: to the serious stuff let's talk Antrim <laughs> So, part of the reason we chose the name United Ireland for this podcast was because whilst we knew that the subjects we're going to be tackling each week can be divisive and we don't want that a lot of the time, there's more that unites us as a nation. So often anything current affairs, especially in this clickbait laden world we live in, only focuses on what will start an argument. It doesn't have to be like this. We're going to travel around the country and hear what brings us together and what fills us all with joy. And each week we're going to have a local tell us what makes their county so special. This week, the lovely Morgan McIntyre from St. Sister tells us what she loves about Belfast. Now we have Morgan on the line and she is going to tell us what is her favourite thing about Antrim. Take it away, Morgan. Well, there are so
2: many wonderful things about Antrim. The scenery is so gorgeous, especially around the coast, and we've got the Giants Causeway, the grounds of Antrim, got a brilliant music scene. But I think. What's given me the most hope at the moment when I think about home are the people working tirelessly to make a better place for everyone who lives in the north. We're in dire straits at the moment. Our government hasn't sat for over two years, and I'm sure you guys know that. And We've been through a lot, and we've been let down time and time again. But we also have this incredible history of activism and protest. We've had the peace people, we've had Alternative Ulster, and these days the people working to secure basic human rights for women in the North and marriage equality and so on. I'm just so grateful to groups like Alliance for Choice. Without them, it would be a much darker place. And these groups have been, as you are aware of, I'm sure, have been working for a long time. And I know attention seems to flicker in and out depending on what's going on, I guess, last year in the South and and what's going on now in the States. But um, they haven't stopped working. And yeah, for that, I'm very grateful. The other thing is a lot of those people campaigned in the south for for, and to help to repeal the 8th, so I'm hoping that we can keep the spotlight on those groups now and and kind of help apply the pressure to try and um, get some movement there for everyone in the north. That's what's given me um, the hope and that's my favourite thing at the moment.
1: That's amazing, and it's so convenient because that's what our episode is about today as well. Well, yeah, I'm, I synchronicity. Think it's
2: hard not to, yeah, that's brilliant. Perfect.
0: Thanks so much, Morgan. Really appreciate it. Guan Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Morgan, and also shout out to Saint Sister partner Gemma Doherty, not to be confused with the Cirrus Cloud hater and obsessor of chemtrails. Saint Sister are currently in the US. (laughs) What? Saint Sister are currently in the US and have just released their new single, Is It Too Early, Kilmainham. Which is a lovely song. I'm just saying, that's my little, (laughs) that's my little review. Well, you should do some music journalism. Yeah, maybe I should. And tickets for their Irish autumn tour have just gone on sale and they are going to be super. So get some tickets. The
0: end. So this week, in a devastating news for women's rights in the US, one of the most extreme anti-abortion laws was introduced in Alabama. If tested, it will most certainly be found to be unconstitutional. And in fact, there seems to be a concerted effort on the ground to introduce a number of these laws so that they be challenged and make a way towards Roe v. Wade. When this stuff happens, we often hear a lot about the role of the American Civil Liberty Union, the ACLU. And this week on the pod, we're joined by the woman responsible for overseeing a lot of these legal cases, the deputy legal director at the ACLU and director of the ACLU Centre for Liberty, overseeing reproductive rights, women's rights, LGBT rights and more. Louise Melling. Thank Um, Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for joining us. And um, we know this is a crazy busy time um, for you right now. And we've been hearing so much in the news and on social media about these restrictive abortion laws being passed or proposed in the States. And my understanding of what's happening um, is is that Roe v. Wade upholds abortion as constitutional right in terms of privacy, but access to abortion is something that has been chipped away at for some time. And I guess now that the judiciary in America is changing, particularly in the Supreme Court, anti-abortion activists, politicians, litigators seem to be seizing a moment that would have been kind of unthinkable a decade ago. But these bills that are being proposed seem designed to fail. So what happened in Alabama and what is going on more broadly?
3: Uh, so more broadly, we are seeing a, an extreme moment in in America right now. Uh, we do... In- The United States Supreme Court in 1973 said that the federal constitution protected the right to decide whether or not to have an abortion. As you know, we've had an election in 2016 that brought in President Trump and President Trump on the campaign trail had vowed that he would appoint justices who would overrule Roe versus Wade. He's had two Supreme Court appointments since he came, since he assumed office. Um, and we don't yet know. So there is a newly constituted Supreme Court. Uh, and the opponents of abortion, I think, are looking. They see that the climate has changed, and they are therefore going forward to pass more extreme abortion measures, and really the most extreme abortion measures. We have had for decades many bills get enacted into law that Restrict access to abortion that continue to sort of uh, my phrase would be to poke holes in the right to make the right look more like Swiss cheese. Um, and but what we're seeing now is in addition to those measures, we're seeing what state legislatures pass and governors sign into law measures that would ban abortion.
0: And I mean, the thing is when we hear about these stories, like someone has signed a bill into law. It does sound like that has become the law, and therefore abortion is
3: banned. But that's not the case, right? Right. It is. It, he, they, the governors have signed these measures into law, so it is it is law in the sense that it is a bill that was passed and signed. Um, in the case of Alabama, for example, the law isn't. Uh, the law says that it wouldn't take effect for sixty days. We will file a lawsuit before that time. We will file a lawsuit asking the court to block enforcement of the law so that the law will never ever go into effect so we and that's what we did in kentucky for example kentucky passed uh what is called a heartbeat ban um that means that kentucky passed a law that would ban abortions as soon as there is a heartbeat which is around six weeks which as a matter of practicality, is basically a ban on on all abortions. In Kentucky, that law took effect the moment upon signature, and we were ready. We filed an immediate lawsuit and got the law enjoined. So these are laws, but we will work, and I believe we will be successful in preventing all of them, all of these bans, from ever going into effect. So we have a political message, which is that state legislatures have the audacity to be passing these measures and to be trying to gin up either a conversation or a legal challenge about the the legality of abortion under the federal constitution. But then we also do have the practical message that's incredibly important to say to women, at least in the United States, which is the states are passing these measures. But today, abortion is legal in your state. You can still get abortion in your state, even though the state legislature passed this measure.
0: I'm going to get into the types of laws that have been um, coming on the, on the table in a second, like you mentioned, these so-called fetal heartbeat laws. But we don't have a system in Ireland where regional laws are proposed and then groups such as something like the ACLU goes about suing regions or taking them to court in order to you know, question the constitutionality of those proposed laws. What is that process like when a bill such as the one we saw in Alabama is signed into law by the governor? Where do you guys kick in?
3: yeah, so let me just step back and say, I think that um one of the things that's very interest interesting is that the United States, in some ways, I think, is almost a little bit more like Europe, even though we are one nation, in that the states have there's tremendous variation among the states in terms of what the legal regimes are, and the Supreme Court precedent that protects the right to abortion provides, Leeway within certain boundaries. You can't, under the Supreme Court precedent, ban abortion, but the court has has been willing to uphold different kinds of restrictions. So we have radical variation. Uh, when a, the ACLU comes in, we are an NGO here to protect the constitutional and si- the constitutional rights and civil civil rights of of people in this country. And we work with both the federal constitution and state constitutions and and other laws. When a law gets passed, whether it's federal or state, that restricts people's rights, We, we go into court where possible to try to stop enforcement of that law to say that it's violating people's rights. So we will, in the case of Alabama, for example, as with Kentucky, as with Ohio, as soon to be with Georgia, on these bans go into federal court and say this state law violates the federal constitution and therefore can't be enforced.
1: Right. Um, Louise, it feels like the anti-abortion movement are baiting groups like yourself to challenge these laws, almost like they're hoping they'll be brought to the Supreme Court. And whilst there is a belief that overturning Roe versus Wade would be a blow to the reputation of the court, even with the new... um, justices, um, so there might be a reluctance to even take the cases, um, there is still a chance it could still be overturned. Is there any other options, or is it a case of to keep fighting it that in that way?
3: Well, a couple of things. One is the proponents of these bills, I think, are doing it because they're hoping to bring a legal challenge. They're also doing it to gin up a particular kind of political conversation and to be um, more openly contesting the notion that the... That their right to have an abortion should be protected. Um, So there, and we, uh, we there is at this second there is no choice but to go to court to challenge those laws in order to protect the rights of people living in those states. If we don't challenge that law, abortion would be banned Mm -hmm. in in Alabama. Um, So that's just one piece. A second piece is, of course, a long term solution is a political solution in terms of people really understanding how threatened the right is at this moment and then taking action in terms of who gets elected, who gets elected to their state legislature, who gets elected to their to the governorship, who gets elected as president, who gets elected in this, the U.S. Senate, because the U.S. Senate is important for purposes of who gets appointed to our federal judiciary. The other point, though, I want to note is A tremendous amount of attention is being paid to the states that are banning abortion, and we should be paying a tremendous amount of attention to the states that are banning abortion. I've been at the ACLU on staff since 1992, and I don't remember a year like this in terms of uh, the measures that are passing, the audacity of the measures that are passing, the invitation, the, the open call to ban abortions that we're seeing in the state legislatures. But at the same time, what's happening and what isn't getting attention is that the state legislatures continue to pass measures that are designed to shut down clinics, designed to shame women, designed to make abortion harder and harder to get, designed to sort of shrink the circle of of the rights. So I'll just use Kentucky as one example. In the state of Kentucky, there's one clinic left. Kentucky is not the only state in which that's true. And the government, the, the government of Kentucky has passed any number of restrictions uh, reaching abortion, including to be pressing um, for enforcement of one measure that would shut the clinic.
0: So these are the kind of the trap laws, the targeted regulation of abortion providers. Um, I've kind of heard a a little bit about them, but we don't really get that much information about the Mm -hmm. nitty gritty of those laws. You mentioned Kentucky has one clinic left. I think Mississippi has one clinic left as well.
3: Mississippi has one clinic left. I think Um, West Virginia has one clinic left. Um,
0: So this comes down to this idea that you can have abortion, you know, protected federally, but if you don't have access then the constitutional protections are a moot point really for a woman living in a rural area far away from any services right
3: right so there's i think there's a couple different issues one is the reality on the ground and the reality on the ground for women certainly that women without means women who are poor women who are rural um has been a big problem in america from sort of from the beginning and just intensifies as services get harder and harder to access as we have fewer and fewer providers and more and more restrictions that do things like require you to make two trips to the clinic which may be 200 miles away, for example. But also as a matter of, so there's the matter of, of lived reality of the laws. Um, and then there's the matter of sort of uh, which is both for the women on the ground and, it, and the women on the ground speak to the uh, another kind of issue which is how are the how are the states and the courts working in a way that is just gutting the right gutting the right as a legal proposition and as a practical proposition but the gutting doesn't command the same popular attention so it almost but, feels
1: like the Supreme Court the hullabaloo over the Supreme Court is a distraction method for what's actually going on on the ground. The
3: hullabaloo over the bans is essential because you have a political movement, and we have to be meeting that. This is a this is a wake up call. The, those bans are a wake up call to what's been happening and what is happening now, even more dramatically. People, if if people thought the right was safe, and that's kind of why they didn't make this their priority, these are these serve as a wake up call for people to sort of get active. But what I am concerned, I, I am. Um, delighted to see the level of, of engagement that we're now seeing because of the bans but what I think is essential is that people when they open up when they when they read their newspaper I say they open up their newspaper I've just belied my age right but when they, <laughs> when they engage with the news people look not only for the headline is Roe reversed but they're looking for the headlines that say whether or not A state is just going to shut down all services in that state, for example. Mm -hmm. We are moving closer and closer to having the country look the way it might if Roe is reversed. Um, And we have to be paying attention to the chipping away because the court could just continue to gut the right to gut it with bigger and bigger cuts than it has already done and it may people may not notice but the the impact will be dramatic so we have to I, uh, my number one message is i want people to be watching for those cuts and to be as agitated and active around the cuts as they are around a, the prospect of a reversal, because the right and women's lives are at stake with the gutting.
0: You know, when Brett Kavanaugh became that Supreme, when he got the Supreme Court justice nominee, his most vocal opposition was women. Really, you know, apart from the, you know, sexual harassment allegations, all that kind of stuff. You know, and this idea that women kept shouting, you know, this kind of stuff is coming down the line, and people dressing up as you know, handmaidens and protests and all that kind of stuff. And time and time again, um, the kind of feminist opposition is told that it's being that they're blowing out of proportion or that being, you know, hysterical and all those kind of things. But I mean, you've said that this is the most extreme year that you've seen in, in your work. I mean, how are you guys keeping afloat mentally? I mean, how are you getting through this?
3: Um, it, look, there's no way to say it, it is completely distressing to see rights you believe in uh, chipped away to be seen. And that's for us at the ACLU. That's not only about the right of people to access abortion. That's about the rights of immigrants. That's about, you know, the rights, uh, the threats that the administration is trying to press on the rights of LGBT people. It's a it, and then there's the threat to democracy. It's a tough time here. But the way to get through it is it's it's. Um, It's it's too important to do anything other than fight. Right. I mean, it's um, people's people's motivation is is high, given how deeply committed we are to the, the broad fairness and to people's rights in this country. Did the if, I, if, I, if, I, if I didn't show up at work here, my head and I uh, and I was just at home reading about this, my head would explode. At least this way, we, we all have the opportunity to channel our passion and deep conviction about what's right in a productive way. Fair. Did the
0: Irish repeal the eighth movement like impact you guys? Were you were you following that in the ACLU?
3: Um, I certainly was following it, and I will say that I felt just. Uh, Deeply inspired, and I look to that, and I look to other movements as a way of 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 providing hope. I I see the long path. I see the the strategic smarts. I see the different ways in which people in Ireland, you know, really just went door to door to educate people about the rights and to convince people that this was. What's right? So watching countries where there's progress on these issues is inspiring.
0: So what happens next for you guys?
3: Um, well, certainly, certainly we'll we'll be busy in litigation. We'll be busy in litigation defending, I mean to challenging those restrictions that are aimed to really chip slash the right, as well as filing litigation to stop the bans. And then we'll be working in conjunction with others to ensure that there is vocal political opposition, right? The, the way to, the ultimate way to win is to win hearts and minds, courts and legislatures. And we at the ACLU want to use our toolkit to work on all those dimensions. I mean and at the end of the day what we have to do and i think um, from what i know about the campaign you all were doing this incredibly well is we have to talk about the right but we also have to talk about the values we have to talk about why it's so essential to women in people's lives that we have the ability to make a decision about something so incredibly fundamental to the to sort of everything that's ahead for us um we we can't we can't protect our health. We can't protect our economic security. We can't have any notion of equality if we can't be making a decision about something so fundamental as whether or not to have a child.
0: Well, Louise, we, we really um, wish you good luck with all of the great work that you guys are doing there. Um, you have our solidarity and our support and let's stay in touch. Um, Louise Malling, Deputy Legal Director at the ACLU. Thank you so much for joining us in United
1: Ireland.
3: Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
1: Now, this episode is about Antrim, so we're going closer to home to talk about the situation in Northern Ireland. When the news of the Alabama law hit Twitter last week, activists were quick to point out that whilst the laws in Alabama were rolling back, they'd never even moved forward in Northern Ireland. So we're joined by Emma Campbell, who is an activist with Alliance for Choice in Belfast. Hello, Emma. Hello. Thanks a million for being with us today. No problem. It's a pleasure. Um, And it's a very timely um, anniversary for us because we're one year on from repeal, um, one year after the declaration that the North is next was made with such enthusiasm. And what has happened since uh, that year in Belfast and in the North since repeal?
4: Well, we've been incredibly busy at Westminster and that's partly because we have no sitting assembly. So um, for the past two years, we've had no local government. Um, But we've also been involved in a few uh, legal processes, so um, the Supreme Court, uh, we had an intervener in the Supreme Court case that went to the UK, and we also were, um, we took part in a very long-term process with CEDAW, which is the UN Committee on Ending Discrimination and Violence Against Women, and they actually launched an inquiry into abortion, so the inquiry was with the UK because they're the state party that are responsible for the human rights in Northern Ireland and technically they're still responsible for upholding our human rights even if we did have a devolved assembly but obviously politically it would make it a lot more difficult for them to actually come in and do anything about it. So in in truth it should be quite easy for them to act now and uh, if we didn't have the dreaded B word Brexit then I think um our bodies might not be being used as bargaining chips um, by the DUP with the Tory government. Um, so CEDAW find that the UK government were in breach of human rights and continue to be in breach of human rights by not doing anything to address the situation for women, girls and pregnant people in Northern Ireland. Um, the Supreme Court was uh, lost on, a, on an issue of standing so a really technical point about whether the uh, Human Rights Commission could actually take the case or not but in fact the judges did something quite unprecedented and made uh, judgments on the case even though the the case fell and the judgments were absolutely in line with the CEDAW report which um, underlined that the treatment of um, people in Northern Ireland was tantamount to um, degrading inhumane treatment. Um and also we've had some brilliant people in the UK Labour Party. So Diana Johnson um had a ten minute rule bill for decriminalisation across the whole of the UK, including Northern Ireland. Um, but because it's a 10-minute rule bill, the government has to allow time for it on the floor in order to be for it to be kind of upgraded to a, a piece of um, legislation. And then Stella Creasy has been, I guess, looking for a bill that already exists, that's guaranteed to go through parliament, um, which we can somehow kind of put an amendment in. And the closest thing we have to that at the minute is the domestic abuse legislation. Um, but when the bill was published, they'd removed any kind of previous draft uh, references to Northern Ireland or any extraterritorial extent, including the 1861 Act that had been in there before. And so at the at the moment, the way it stands, um, the government don't look like they're willing to do anything for abortion in Northern Ireland. And... Um, the only reason we can imagine is the DUP and Brexit. I mean, if anybody has a better uh, a better explanation, <laughs> then I'm all ears. Uh, so it's been, on one hand, it's been really frustrating. Um, on the other hand, this time last year, obviously, we were busy helping you lot um, campus, and um, it's really been quite an incredible year. And we had such amazing support and solidarity in the immediate aftermath of repeal. So. For the following, I foolishly booked a holiday a week after appeal and um, for the whole two months afterwards, we were constantly um, uh, doing media and we had um, interest in us like never before and amazing kind of uh, merch buy-in and people contacting us from all over the world. And that's kind of what's happened this week, really, with Alabama. Um have you yeah. noticed a, a, an
1: increase in solidarity from the feminists in the UK, especially since Alabama, and realising that Northern Ireland is so left behind?
4: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for a lot of a lot of people have been privately messaging us, and some quite high-profile people have been privately mes- messaging us on Instagram, almost saying they are a bit embarrassed that they didn't know that this is what the situation was and. Um, when journalists ask us why we think it is, I guess it's not just abortion that England has a blind spot with in terms of Northern Ireland. I mean, the, re- <laughs> the reason we are where we are with Brexit is because they forgot about the the, the funny little thing that is the border between um, the six counties in Northern Ireland and the twenty-six counties in the Republic of Ireland. So. Um, I think there is a particular blind spot there, anyway, and then, uh, and then I suppose a lot of people would have just assumed that the law here was the same. Um, I don't know where they've been living <laughs> under a rock, but um, but yeah, and I think a lot of people are also confused. Uh, they don't really know how it works in Northern Ireland, so a lot of people also assume that repay um, meant. Uh, Northern Irish people have the same access so um, it's been a it's been a week of teaching (laughs) a week of teaching and a week of solidarity with um, people in the states you know it's not just Alabama it's it's right across the I guess the um, the states where they know they've got that kind of far right Christian stronghold that they can they can make those moves, mm. and we know that there's been trap laws for a long time, like small petty bureaucracies that are trying to chip away at rights whenever they can't do anything kind of legislatively. Um, and 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 you know we recognise as well that this is a global pushback, and um, and it's happening in European courts as well. There's very strong anti-choice. Catholic and evangelical lobbies in Europe as well um, we even see it in in countries that we kind of hold up as paragons of equality like um, Sweden and Norway so um, I think it's I think it's possibly worth the reminder that we should always be vigilant even if we do get the law passed yeah um, Emma, yeah. can
0: I just, you know, obviously the political stagnation in the North is is a massive roadblock and the fact that there is no functioning assembly and that li- legislation isn't being passed and hasn't been for over two years. Mm-hmm. Do you think people in the North will be generally satisfied for Westminster to effectively vote in legal abortion in the North? Or do you think that people might feel like it's something being imposed I mean, like how and also how realistic is that happening? I I just get the feeling sometimes that, you know, if people want to take control over what's happening in their society, then it might be better for as unrealistic as it seems right now for Stormont to actually be passing that legislation.
4: Well, the problem is, you know, Stormont had the opportunity to do something about this right up until the the assembly collapsed, but they're not interested, and the DUP has a stronghold. And unless there's a change to the petition of concern, I can't see how, even if the government gets up and running again. And if you bear in mind the Good Friday talks took took 22 months, so we could we could be four years without government. Yeah. And the other the other perspective is that the law is a colonial law from the UK. It's a it's a British piece of colonial legislation. If you look at a map of the world with some of the worst um, abortion laws, um, it's countries that were once a colony of Britain. And um, the, our perspective is we want Britain to remove that legislation. So take it, take that piece of colonial legislation away. We haven't asked them to replace it with anything else, we just want them to get rid of it. And then whatever uh, on the ground could be worked around or replaced or policy-wise, let that be up to people in Northern Ireland. Um, and that's kind of our take on it. And I think, um, so something similar has happened before. Civil marriage was being blocked in Northern Ireland for a very long time. And and we go up and down here with lots of periods of um, direct rule and devolution than people realise. And so there was a brief period, um, I think it was 2004, when there was direct rule again, when talks had broken down. And that's when they took that opportunity to pass um, civil marriage. Now, nobody's rejected it since in Northern Ireland. But as you can see, even when the majority of the Assembly supports something like equal marriage, so that goes beyond um, civil partnership but but, um, recognises equal marriage, even though there was a majority in the assembly, the DUP used that petition of concern to block it. So we don't we don't get a proper democracy in Northern Ireland when it comes to issues of rights and issues of equality. So, um, and uh, to back up that as well, Amnesty have done uh, did quite a, a, a robust piece of research on how people would feel about Westminster introducing the law, and um, people an overwhelming majority of people were happy for just something to be done about it. I think.
0: You know the way like some people have survivor guilt. Like, I have repeal guilt when it comes to the North, like the fact that we and the same with marriage equality, you know the fact that we in the South have managed to get these things over the line because our legislative landscape is so less complex than what you guys are dealing with. But I mean, it's one thing feeling guilty. What can people actually do to you know express their solidarity from the Republic to the north and help the cause?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, possibly if there were if there were a different ruling coalition in Ireland, then um, they might take the obligations of human rights under the Good Friday Agreement a bit more seriously in yeah. terms of, of what what we should be owed as well in the North. So I think there's a bit of frustration coming from all of us that would identify as Irish citizens as well in terms of how much that's just um, that's just text and and and. Uh, and the actual, in reality, there, there's never been anything done to uphold our rights coming from that direction. Um, but I think I think maybe putting pressure on the TDs in terms of what the charges are for Northern Ireland would make a huge difference to people who can't travel to England. Um, because the two trips and paying the, those doctors' fees plus the four hundred and fifty minimum charge for abortion pills that cost about five euro to manufacture um, seems a bit steep, and uh, the way the UK government got around um, paying for us was they didn't they don't they don't pay for us from the NHS they they took money from the women women and equality um, committee budget so. I don't see why we couldn't do something similar in Ireland. There's already other health procedures that happen for people in the north in Ireland. So um, children's heart specialisms, there's, there's other things as well that we just don't have the specialists always available in Northern Ireland. So um, what happens is people go for treatment in Ireland and the NHS reimburses it. Now, now why are these op- options not even been explored now we had a meeting with Simon Harris before and we we kind of put it to them that this should be this should be on the table so we don't know what's going to happen with that but i think um i think if people in the 26 counties really want to help they could maybe put pressure on their TDs and i know the legislation isn't perfect for people in the south either i mean i understand that it, access isn't there for everybody and there's a bit of a cliff edge at 12 weeks and so on but um, as part of the campaign to uh, improve all of that with the law, I think access from Northern Ireland should be there. And I mean, I have to say, um, amazing organisations like uh, the Abortion Rights Campaign and the Coalition to Repeal the Eighth Amendment have always been great allies to us. Um, and they, and um, especially ARC, do always include us in the conversation. And... Um, so yeah, and I think making us think about it is uh is the way, as you saw was repeating, that you, you finally get things done. Um yeah.
1: And are you feeling positive with how things are going and where do you think it's going to go next? What's what's on the table for the future?
4: I you know, I'm I'm always optimistic or I wouldn't I wouldn't still be involved in Alliance for Choice. Um and I, I, I definitely feel like in the past year and a half, the tide of public opinion has become, so the, the opinion hasn't changed, but it's got braver and more public, um, kind of an echo of what he's experienced in the South. And um, we really need that solidarity from people in England, Wales, and Scotland. Because if you imagine us emailing our MPs, the only ones that sit in the House of Parliament or the DUP, so Sinn Féin won't take their seats, and I understand why they won't, but it means the only voice that's heard in Parliament is the DUP voice. So we really need the solidarity of people in England, Wales and Scotland, and I think people are now finally beginning to wake up and see that they need to help us out. So So um,
1: that's- One thing thing you'd probably say is tell all your UK mates or anyone who's moved to the UK to get onto their MPs on your behalf
4: exactly get on to your mates who are working in the cities and get on to your friends and family who moved there or the diaspora and um, and tell them to give us um, give us some of their support yeah
0: thanks so much for filling us in this week Emma really appreciate it and solidarity to you and and all of the people working um up there on it and and we've got your back (laughs) thank you so much it actually
4: made me a little bit teary there (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk to you soon thanks bye
0: So what about you? When we made Don't Stop Repealing, believe it or not, we did all of it with zero budget. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. (laughs) That is what happened. We called in so many favors and Andrew, who's sitting in the studio with us right now, also did it all for free, all the production, editing his studio and all that kind of stuff.
1: That's some sort of angelic gift from the gods, isn't it? Correct but Thanks, what, <laughs> this time
0: we really need to make the podcast sustainable we want to pay for production and we need listener support to make that happen you know this is an independent podcast we're not um, supported by any media company or anything like that we're doing this you know out of our working day and we need to basically make it pay for itself and the Way that it'll get better that it'll be more sustainable is if you guys get involved and you can get involved in the simplest way as possible so we've set up a Patreon account it's patreon.com forward slash United Ireland for our listeners to support us for as little as three euro a month you can support this podcast you'll be able to access um, exclusive posts priority for live events you'll get bonus content you'll get bonus uh, podcast interviews you'll get United Ireland badges you'll get get in the sea tote bags you'll get all the good stuff like that so please go to our Patreon page patreon.com forward slash United Ireland to support this
1: podcast we really need your help sometimes I think we might be presuming that people everyone knows what a Patreon is I only learned about it a while ago and basically what this is is an, a website that allows you to pick a donation amount comes out of your account each month, comes into ours, lets us pay people for doing amazing jobs. Um, And all you have to do is sign up, pop your digits in, money comes to us. Bish bash bong
0: amazing so we really need your support and we're really grateful for it too but it's important to note that united ireland is not behind a paywall we want everyone to listen to it so if you can't afford a few quid a month please review us subscribe share on social media tell your buddies about the podcast bang on about it all you want to you know strangers on the bus whatever um people need to talk more to people they don't know correct So we just really need your support and we really appreciate all of your support for Don't Stop Repealing. So if you listen to Don't Stop Repealing, let's say if you listen to all those episodes that we did and you thought it was deadly, maybe now is the chance to kind of pay us back. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds kind of threatening, doesn't it? (laughs) Pay us back. Pay back time. But listen, it's just a few quid a month. I know everybody's smashed at the moment, but if you can spare three euro a month for, and you get four podcasts out of that.
1: Or even better, five. Even better, as Andrea (laughs) says,
0: five. We'd really, really appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland.
1: Now, whilst we will continuously strive to be the positive ray of sunshine the world most definitely needs each week. uh, God, that's a bit up ourselves, isn't it? We're the ray of sunshine. Anyway, we'll go with it. We know ourselves too well to be able to resist a feature as elegantly titled as Get In The Sea. Each week we'll decide who or what most deserves to, you get it, get in the sea. This week, the accolade goes to Owen Murphy's co-living fantasies. Owen, stop trying to make it happen. This really
0: irritates me in a major way. Um, I wrote my column in the, in the Irish Times about it this week. Just in terms of the development that's happening in Dun that where, I mean, 40 plus people are meant to be sharing a kitchen on one floor, Um, with bedrooms that are 16 point something square metres. They're smaller than a disabled parking spot. Mm. And this is a choice and an option, according to Alan Murphy, as if, you know, there are choices and options of rent. And also he then he gave another interview um, saying that we should be excited. Young people should be excited about the prospect of uh, spending uh, less money and less rent. But I don't know what he means about like less money less rent money because if you look at Node for example which is a quote unquote co-living space in Dublin that exists they're like a single bedroom or like one bedroom uh, costs between 1200 and 1500 a month so like that is not affordable these are not going to be affordable options they aren't going to be you know like 200 bucks um, you know a month for effectively a bed set it's just not going to happen it's tenement. It's, it's a tenement I just feel you know <laughs> Like what uh, Owen Murphy's approach at the moment is completely tone deaf and um, pretty damaging to him. Although, you know, if you can it, it last as the housing minister for this long, I don't know what could actually damage him further. So this week, Owen Murphy's co living fantasies can get in the sea. Now we're all about yin and yang here at United Ireland as well. So to balance get in the sea, here are this week's fave bits. Now, Andrea <laughs> wanted to go Andrea wanted to call this things we love as much as Simon Harris's Instagram. I want to clarify. <laughs> For obvious reasons, his Instagram is we love it. No, we okay. love it. So this is the thing. Andrea is
1: obsessed with Simon Harris's Instagram. I actually don't care about Simon Harris's you do. Instagram. I don't follow Simon Harris at Instagram. When I, I send you the screen grabs, you love them and don't even think about lying about it. It's the best social media to follow every Everyone go and follow Simon Harris I think Andre just has a real
0: draw <laughs> for the wholesomeness and earnest
1: enthusiasm Sorry, for simple has, things he has a post with an apple busy day at work come on that's Instagram gold <laughs> anyway this item is not
0: called things we love as much as Simon Harris's Instagram it's called fave bits my fave bits this week are um, I went to see uh, Booksmart the Olivia Wilde Olivia Wilde's directorial debut And it is amazing. There was a gays LGBT film festival screening of it in the Lighthouse in Dublin. Um, And Booksmart is a classic, like it's on super bad levels. It is Pineapple Express levels. It is
1: above Mean Girls levels. When I hear Olivia Wilde, I think of uh, The Solver. What's that? Don't you know Olivia, what's her name? O'Leary? No, (laughs) from Shonda Rhimes' show, Scandal. Oh, Olivia Pope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's It's, not her, though.
0: (laughs) It's not her, no. Although Olivia Wilde,
1: um, maybe she should come on United Ireland because she did live in Waterford for quite a while. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. If anyone else has any ideas of guests for each county, send them in to us. But Booksmart,
0: go see when it comes out. My other fave bit this week is my favourite book that I've read this year is called Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. It is complete bonkers queer gender shape-shifting 90s madness the author is andrea lawler and i'm interviewing them at uh smock alley on this friday as part of the international literature festival dublin which is so convenient plug plug (laughs) plug but um read the book and come to the talk as well
1: my favorite bits of the week are a little bit less highbrow should we say aladdin from disney stunning like, to be honest, it's a Disney film. It's a love story. People who watch all these real-life murder shows can get a grip. That's not entertainment. The whole point of entertainment is to feel love and be entertained. So go and see Aladdin. I thought it was You went neat. to the premiere or something the other night, did you? Yeah, I got to rub the lamp. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay. Well, like my, I, ha- I am making complete judgment on Aladdin without seeing it. Aladdin was my favourite film as a kid. Prince Ali, happy
1: as he. Absolutely. Whole New World,
0: all that kind of stuff. We didn't have a video recorder in my house when I was growing up or a teenager or anything. And so for birthdays, my dad would take the VCR from the school he worked in as a treat. (laughs) (laughs) This is like some real Dean's Grange, uh, <laughs> um, no money realness that I'm serving right now. And so I had one video and it was Aladdin. And so I just would watch it again and again and I knew the whole thing completely off by heart. So when I saw the clip of
1: fucking smurf looking Will Smith, would they not have got someone who was actually blue to play him? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's a whole different story we're
0: not going to that's for it. a
1: different podcast
0: <laughs> which we will definitely do which we will definitely do but I just couldn't believe okay it. well look you're it's just going to have to
1: let the emotional you haven't emotionally processed that VCR thing obviously <laughs> it's time to let it go go to the movie enjoy it eat some popcorn be delighted the second thing on my favourite things is the RHA annual exhibition I love art Full stop. And <laughs> Right, the that's, end. that's... I love art. That's <laughs> but, all from us at United <laughs> Islands. <laughs> Some beautiful insights. But the best thing about the RHA exhibition is that it takes... Um, loads of uh submissions so there's something for everyone and there's so much art you could spend like four hours walking around and you can even buy it it's and so there's affordable bits there's less affordable bits there's just a whole mishmash of all different styles and it's just a great place to go to see gorge art who doesn't want that in the world make the world beautiful and finally i've got three things on my list uh I'm obsessed with Burgoyne, but I'm more obsessed with this man who you need to follow on Instagram called Gunther Krabenhoft. And he is, I'd say about an 80-year-old man who is the most stylish man I've ever seen. And he literally danced for the eight hours I was there. I was there for 13. He literally danced for the eight hours I was there and just had the time of his life. He is my life inspiration. So go and follow him on Instagram. That's it. Was he really there, though? I swear to God! (laughs) And if you look at his Instagram, he literally just loves techno. So all his Instagram posts are just him, 80-year-old, with a cane and a top hat, dancing to techno. That is what the world needs. This podcast is created and hosted by Andrea Horan. And Una Mullally. Produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Thank you to the lovely Crystal Clear for our music. Sarah Fox for our design and you for listening.
0: You can find all links to all of our socials on our website unitedirelandpodcast.com and if you're enjoying listening let us know. But even better than that give us some cash on our Patreon account patreon.com forward slash United Ireland.
1: That's all for this week lovers. All that there's time left to do now is listen to our tuna chicken roll of the week to get the weekend started. <laughs> what the hell is a tuna chicken roll I hear you ask. Well this is it's absolutely so ridiculous I can't even explain it this is a way of saying a song it's really good so it's a tune don't you know when you used to put the T sign up and you'd say tune and that progressed into Tuna and then what do you do with Tuna you put it on a roll and what else do you have you have chicken on a roll, so it's a tuna chicken roll. Tuna chicken roll is a very <laughs> off-repeated statement by Andrea to indicate the quality of a popular music track. <laughs> That's much more loquacious. <laughs> so here it is, our tuna chicken roll of the week, as is only right. It's our new theme tune, kindly given to us by Crystal Clear. Love you. It's Neutron Dan.